Happy Easter, and welcome to the message, the day that changed everything. Since 2,000 years ago in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve ate of the apple and separated spiritually from God, that day, God had told them in the day they touched or ate of the tree that they would die. And from that day forward, fear, guilt, and shame haunted mankind to remind him that he was separated from God and that all that ultimately awaited him was death, the grave, and ultimately hell, eternal separation from God. The pandemic of sin is ruled with no cure or vaccine from that moment on until the day that changed everything. 2,000 years ago, God sent his son to earth, clothed in human flesh, and did something no human in all of history had ever done. God, after allowing his son to die, one of the most cruel deaths ever known to mankind. He was beaten with a cat of nine tails. It wasn't quite as kind as this whip that you see right here. There were rocks all inside of it. It was heavy, and when they swung and it hit the back, it would literally rip the flesh open. And then, after being beaten with a cat of nine tails, after being tortured, after being ridiculed and mocked, after that, they marched him up a hill called Golgotha and nailed him to a cross with their final act, putting a crown of thorns upon his head. But this unprecedented death was also matched by an unprecedented miracle. God the Father, on the third day, raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's right. He raised him from the dead. You see, the difference between Jesus and every other religious leader in all of history is not just the Bible. You see, many people think that Christianity is a different mindset or a different set of rules or moral values. But can I remind you, Jesus predicated all of his teachings on one thing, one premise. I will come back from the dead. Had Jesus stayed dead, he would have been another teacher. A good one like Buddha, like Mohammed, like Krishna, and like many of the other teachers of morality in centuries gone by. I can remember having a debate once at the local university. I was speaking in the free speech area, and while I was speaking, a, a, a man walked up to me. I was standing there on the free speech area right there at the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. I would stand there along with a couple of friends, and there was a, a student center here, and on this side was another activity area, and right there where the pond is, some of you who've been to the university know, I would stand right there on the brick wall, and when class let out, I'd start preaching a three-minute message, and people would go by. There were two Christian students who would come and stand in front of me like this, as though they were listening. People would come, and, and they would stop, and, and they would act as though they were just listening, and they would reach over and say, hey, what do you think about what he's saying? One day while I was out there doing that, a man came and he stood there through the duration of my three-minute message. And he looked at me and he said, hey, 
You keep repeating yourself. I said, I know. Every three minutes, I preach the same message over and over. He said, you know, you are very zealous. I said, well, thank you. He said, I am a Muslim. And he said, I actually lead the mosque here off campus. And he said, I would love to you to come and to speak with me at our mosque. And I said, well, wow, I'd love to do that. So we arranged that the next day I would go to the mosque right there in in Lafayette, right there off the UL campus. When I got there, he didn't know that my dear mentor and friend, Josh McDowell, had just debated the leading Muslim cleric in the world, Ahmad Didat. I watched with fervor the entire debate, memorized every bit of it. And it all came down to one practical conclusion. Did Jesus Christ come back from the dead? And so as we began speaking back and forth, finally we both agreed that Jesus was a good man and that Muhammad was a good man. We agreed that both of them had good teachings. We agreed that both of them had followers that were worldwide. But the final conclusion was when he said, Muhammad was a good man and he lived for his people. And I said, Jesus was a good man and he lived for his people. He said, well, see, it's just the same. And I said, oh, no, it's not. He said, what do you mean? I said, Jesus died for his people. He said, well, Muhammad died for his people. And I said, yes. But Jesus rose again on the third day. He was raised by his father, God, from the dead for his people to bring them resurrection life and to bring them forgiveness and to bring them power over sin. And he paused and said, well, Muhammad hasn't made it yet. And not only has he not made it, no other religious leader in all of history, regardless of their category, has ever come back from the dead but Jesus the Christ. And that today is why I call this day the day that changed everything. You see, that day, when God raised Jesus from the dead, he changed three things that he would put that would be eternal transformations from time and eternity from that moment. Here's the first one. He separated time, B.C. and A.D. B.C. and A.D. Now, B.C. doesn't stand for before Corona and after the disease. B.C. stands for before Christ. In other words, there was all of the world and all of time and all of world's events until 2,000 years ago when God, who created the earth, came back for a new creation in man. The second Adam, the Bible calls him Jesus, he came. And then there's the words A.D., which mean in Latin, Anna Domini, which is in the year of our Lord. By doing that, he not only separated time, but he gave you and I an opportunity to have a B.C. and an A.D., Now, I know you're sitting at home with your family and friends and loved ones, and it's Easter, and you probably got a great meal set up, and I don't want to ruin your meal. But can I encourage you 
to take some time today, maybe it might be now, maybe it might be later, to sit down and to look at your children or other loved ones and remind them that there was a B.C. for you. Every, every Christmas morning at my house is, is, is the same story. I, I, I gather all my children together and we've had played a game and their mother makes a puzzle and they each gather all of their presents and, and, and we have a standard Aranza rule on Christmas morning and it goes like this. Before any presents are ever opened, we start at the youngest, going all the way to the oldest, which ends up with me, and they must say what they're thankful for to God for this previous year. And I tell them that if they rush, that I'll take longer. So over the years, they've learned. And so they thank God for everything. They thank God for the dog. They, thank, they go thanking God for everything. And when we get to the end, and it finally gets to me, we're now 25, 30 minutes into this, I always look at them and I say, I am so grateful that in 1971, God sent a white pastor to the Mexican ghetto of Houston to reach a 14-year-old kid whose dad had been married five times, whose mom would be married two times, whose sisters had been pregnant 13, 14, and 15, whose older brother was a drug dealer that was his hero, and that God sent that man to reach me. And every year when I share this story, my boys look and go, Dad, you share the same story every year. My daughter says, you share the same story every year. I don't ever want them to forget that story. And I don't ever want to forget that there was a B.C. for me, just like there was a B.C. for you. Do you remember when you were guilty? Do you remember when you lived with fear and anxiety? Do you remember when you were uncertain about your eternity? Today is the day that changed everything. It changed by him separating time, B.C. and A.D. The second thing that he changed was he separated man from the power of sin. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? When Adam and Eve ate of that fruit in the garden, guilt, fear, and shame would be used to condemn man and to remind him that he was separated from God. You see, sin has amazing power. Sin has amazing power. Someone said many years ago, sin will cost you more than you're willing to pay and keep you longer than you're willing to stay. You see, the truth is, none of us ever, ever think that when we begin some little habit that somehow it's going to begin controlling our lives, whether it's alcohol or anger or depression or guilt or anxiety or fear or whatever it may be. You know, uh, we all fall into different sin when we sin, and Jesus saved us all from different sin, but, but we all fall into some sin in our lives, ruts. Habits, hurts, hang-ups. Jesus came to separate man from the power of sin. God separated man from the power of sin on the cross when Jesus became sin for you and for me. As a matter of fact, on that cross, with those thorns upon his head, 
he was separated from his father. He cries out, and and, and the words that you know very well, for those of you who've ever seen any movie about this, is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, when Jesus took upon himself the sins of the whole world, he was separated from his Father for the first time in all of eternity. You say, Pastor, why was he? Because he wanted to experience the same spiritual death and the same separation that you and I have experienced. That's why someone said the cross is the place where Jesus came and laid down all of his righteousness to take up my sin so that I could go to that same cross and lay down all of my sin and take up his righteousness. He separated us from the power of sin which constantly reminded us, you're guilty. You're separated from God. You're unworthy. And you'll never be good enough on your own. I am so grateful for the day that changed everything because Paul would simply write these words to describe this transformation that happens when you become a born-again child of God and your sins are forgiven. Listen to what he says. And this free-flowing gift imparts to us much more than what was given to us, than through the one who sinned, which was Adam. But because of one transgression, we are all facing a death sentence and a verdict of guilty. But this gracious gift leaves us free from our many failures and brings us into perfect righteousness of God, acquitted with these words. Not guilty. That's right. The apple, the disobedience in the garden left us guilty. Grace says not guilty. Here's the third thing that Jesus did on that day 2,000 years ago that changed everything. He separated us from the power of death, hell, and the grave. Death, hell, and the grave. As a matter of fact, a resurrected Christ declares in Revelations 1.18, but I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of hell and of death. You see, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, they were given dominion and stewardship over the entire garden. And when they sinned by eating that apple, they forfeited that. And they surrendered to the God who became the God of this world, Satan. But when Jesus died on the cross, his final words were, it is finished. Let me say it another way. Their debt is paid in full. Sin is paid for, for time and for eternity. And so when he rises from the dead and proclaims in the book of Revelations, I am the one that lives. I was dead, but I am alive forevermore. And those keys that Adam and Eve lost in the garden, I now have the keys to death, to hell, and to the grave. You see, the first question that anyone must ask 
of any Bible or belief system or teacher or guru or someone who promises you not only a way to live now, but a place to go later is the death question. What happens when you die? Where do you go when you die? I've had the privilege of being with uh, many people as they took their last breaths and air into eternity. Probably it's one of the greatest honors I've ever had. I've led people to Christ. I've baptized people. I've helped people in their marriages. I've helped people come off of addictions and, and different things. But maybe the greatest honor people ever invite me into is to being with them or their loved ones when they enter into eternity. There's two miracles that I'm still astounded by. Each time I experience them, though they happen every day, all over the world, all the time, when a baby's born. And any of you that have been there at the birth of a baby, you, you, you see this precious baby, the head pops out, then the shoulders pop out, and it looks like it's just purple and there isn't going to be anything happening. And all of a sudden, you just, Wah! and they begin screaming and don't stop till they're about 25. But the second one, is the miracle of watching people pass from this life to the next. C can I tell you something? You want to see the sting and power of death. That's a front row seat to it. And do you want to see the strength and power of grace and resurrection life? That's where you get a front row seat. You see, Jesus, the resurrected one, has prepared not only you a place, but your loved ones. And he wants you to know that you don't have to be afraid of death. 100% of everybody listening to me right now, including the person speaking, is going to die. It's not a question of if you're going to die. It's simply a question of when and how you're going to die. Someone once said the tragedy is not that people die. It's that some people never lived. So let me ask you. The most important question of your life. What will happen when you die? may offer you the powerful truths of Jesus who said, I was dead and now I'm alive and I am the living one. Can I offer you the words of the Apostle Paul who near the end of his life said, Oh death, where is your sting? Oh grave, where is thy victory? Because death has been swallowed up by the victory of Jesus Christ in his resurrection 2,000 years ago. That day, he said, death will never have the final word. I will. I will. 
today we celebrate Easter. We celebrate the resurrection. We celebrate our BC and now our AD. We celebrate that we no longer have to be slaves to sin. And we celebrate the fact that when we die, our bodies will be lowered down. But the moment we take our last breath, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And when I close my eyes and I take my last breath, and you might hear it said, it might be announced in the paper. It could be announced on the local Christian radio station. Pastor Jacob Aranza has died. Don't you believe it? I'll be more alive than I have ever been before. Can I ask you a question? What will they say about you? What will happen to you? One of the greatest atheists of the last 100 years was a brilliant man. As a matter of fact, he was the head of the literature department at two of the most prestigious universities in the world, Oxford and Cambridge. He was a brilliant man. Later in his life, after going through disappointment and pain and even anger and rejecting and denying God, a co-worker at Oxford University began to share with him these pertinent questions. What happens when you die? What is the meaning of life? And a transformation began to happen in this man's heart. As J.R. Tolkien, the author of Lord of the Rings, would introduce C.S. Lewis of the Chronicles of Narnia, the Screwtape Letters, and millions and millions of other books to his Lord and Savior. And before his death, he was the greatest defender of the Christian faith in the world, and his movies and books are still preaching today. Or how about the historian Lou Wallace, who wrote the book called The Myth of Christianity, <laughs> only to be transformed by the very Christ that he fought you probably don't know anything about the myth of Christianity, but maybe you remember his second book. It was called Ben-Hur, A Tale of the Christ. And then there's my mentor, Josh McDowell, an angry atheist with an alcoholic father who beat him as a child, and he grew up praying only that his father would die bitter and angry. His heart grew hard and cold, and he hated if there was a God, he hated him, and he made it his life mission to prove that there was no God. So he was going to write a book called The Evidence of Why God Doesn't Exist. Maybe you've heard of that book because he had a resurrection in the process. It's called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And maybe you know the smaller version of that. It's called More Than a Carpenter, and it's been in print all over the world 
more than 30 million copies in print. And when the Iron Curtain came down in Russia, I was there with him and a host of people from across the United States. And the first Christian book they ever read was Martin de Carpenter as an atheist who had a resurrection, had a BC in a deity. Today, I want to close as we do every service here at our Savior's Church asking you the most important question of your life. I've been talking about it for the last five minutes. I've said it in many different ways. What happens when you die? Where are you going when you die? What is the meaning of life? What if Christ did rise from the dead? What if indeed he was God in the flesh that came to earth? I, I want to tell you what he said to a very religious man in John 3, chapter 3, a very religious man named Nicodemus came to Jesus and he said, Good teacher, I know that you are a teacher from God because no one could do the works you do unless God was with him. And Jesus smiled and looked at Nicodemus and said, Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Unless a man is born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus said what, what you and I would say if all we were thinking about was the natural perspective. Can a man who has grown go back into his mother's womb? And Jesus said, no. What's born of the flesh is flesh. What's born of the spirit is spirit. You see, when Adam and Eve ate of that apple, they died spiritually in the garden. And every person born since that day has been born spiritually dead. Mother Teresa was born spiritually dead. Billy Graham was born spiritually dead. Every spiritual leader you know and love and respect was born spiritually dead because of the bite that Adam and Eve took in the garden. And so Jesus' command to this very good man, Nicodemus, was, Nicodemus, man died spiritually in the garden, so now you must be born again. You see, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make spiritually dead people live and have a resurrection and be raised from the dead just as his father raised him from the dead. Have you been born again? You say, Pastor, how, how can I do that? I've been christened. I've been baptized. I've joined the church. I, I mean, I love God. I read the Bible sometimes. It's as easy as A, B, C. A, Admit that you're a sinner. Hey, if you have any problem with that, ask somebody in the living room sitting beside you. They'll help you. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer. And he died for your sins. He had a cross on his back. He had thorns on his head. He had a whip put on his back to pay for your sin. You see, either he died for your sin or you die with your sin. See, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior as you turn away from sin to be born again. Do you know that you can do that right now? It only happens once, just like the day you were born. You can celebrate it many times. My spiritual birthdays 
1971, when I prayed with an African-American counselor in a junior high school, that day, the old Jacob died and a new one was raised from the dead. No, I haven't been perfect. There's times I still struggle and fall into areas of sin in my life. But that day, I was spiritually raised from the dead. Have you been born again? I want to pray with you right now. As a matter of fact, can I say it like this? I want you to be resurrected on resurrection morning. I want you to have your own Easter. I want you to have a B.C. and an A.D. I want the power of sin to be broken off of your life. And I want you to know that if you took your last breath, you no longer fear death, hell, or the grave because he paid the price so you would never have to go there, but instead have a relationship with your heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. If that's what you'd like to do, I'm going to ask you to pray with me right where you are. Yeah, yeah, pray with me. You say, Pastor, can it be that easy? Of course it is. You see, salvation, to be born again, it's free, but it's not cheap. A great price was paid for your forgiveness and salvation and reconciliation in relationship with God the moment you become born again. Jesus did it for you. And if you want to receive that free gift, would you just pray with me right now? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just ask you right now where you are. Would you just bow your heads and would you just, just pray with me? Repeat this prayer quietly under your breath. Or maybe if you're by yourself, you can say it louder. Dear Lord Jesus, go ahead and say it. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And Jesus, I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior, and I am born again in Jesus' name. Amen.